Welcome again to the Ideas Hour. I'm your host, Paul Honeycutt, joined as always by Jeff Boker. Jeff, we are well underway in a series about end times. And nothing starts a good argument like talking about end times sometimes, but, but it is a fascinating subject. And it really isn't, I suppose, when you, when you really walk it through and, and compare Scripture with Scripture, it isn't as hard as a lot of people think it is. And, it, and it's not hard to really figure out in most cases. Mm-hmm. But one of the aspects in Revelation, that's where we're going to camp today, is this idea of, I heard and I saw. What's that all about? Well, we're talking about sort of literary devices. Because, okay. um, first of all, the book of Revelation is, of course, a piece of literature. Mm-hmm. And we, we discussed in our very first uh, segment of this series that it's a series of visions. It's not all visions. There's sort of commentary in between, but it's a series of visions. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we talked about how we get our... Uh, concept of visions from Ezekiel, Zechariah, and Daniel, okay, that they're teaching truth, but not in, li- not in a literal uh, way, historic right. way. So, we, so, but beyond that, we reckon, therefore, because, um, well, because of that, we want to be sensitive to the devices that the author which is the Apostle John, uh, the book of Revelation, that he uses. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a variety of things. We'll talk about those. One of the things that is used is is the uh, differing perspectives of the same event. Mm. They will talk, in the future we'll look at this, where they'll look at an event first from a throne room, heavenly perspective, then they will look at it from an earthly perspective. The same event from two different points of views. And you need to understand that so you don't think it's two different events. But we'll talk about that at some point in our study in this series. But we're going to look at one, as you saw it when you introduced this, uh, I hear and I saw. Uh, This is fascinating because, it's at least from my point of view, the concept is introduced in Revelation chapter 5, but becomes really unique in helping us understand Revelation chapter 7. Okay, so let's look at number 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Okay, now let's just stop there. So he's got the scroll writing on both sides, okay? And the scroll is going to be the unfolding of the end, the last days. Mm-hmm. Which in scripture, the last days are from, in effect, you know, the cross until the second coming. So we who live from Pentecost to the second coming in the new covenant era, we are living in the last days. Okay. And just, you know, keep your finger here in Revelation 5, but go to Hebrews chapter 1, just to remind folks of the perspective of Scripture on this issue of the last days. In uh, Hebrews chapter 1, look at verses 1 and 2. In the past, it says, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. 
So Jesus is inaugurating in the last days. Oh, well that's... Uh, so we need to keep that in mind. So the, the, the scroll is the unveiling of the last days. Jesus accomplishes everything for our salvation by his death on the cross. Now the scroll is going to uh, you know, uh, unfold the last days. Now it says in verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Ah. So this is the scene. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So there's this weeping in heaven, and then uh, he is told, Well, don't weep. Wait a second, we found one. Mm -hmm. This is the person. He is he's gonna describe Jesus in his old covenant prophetic language, Mm -hmm. which is he is the line of the tribe of Judah, he is the root of David. And he has triumphed. That's absolutely true. But then when you get to verse 6, it says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Okay, so this is uh, this is really a very powerful section. Mm-hmm. So the question goes out: Who is a who is worthy to open this? You know this the scroll. You know, open the seal so the scroll the end could unfold. No one is found. Then he's told, "Wait, don't weep. There is one found who qualifies the line of the tribe of Judah." Well, of course, that's referring to Jesus in Old Covenant prophetic language. He, and, of course, the prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah, that's, that's rather obvious. Then he says, Then I saw, so I hear the solution in Old Covenant prophetic language, but I see the solution in historically what happened. Jesus is the lamb that was slain. His death on the cross, mm-hmm. by his death on the cross, he purchases a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. So it's the same person described in two different ways. Old Covenant prophetic language, New Covenant fulfillment. Mm -hmm. But the same event from two differing perspectives. And so this is where we get the concept, I hear, then I see. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. So this this would be the sort of introduction into this concept. Okay. Now, if we move to Revelation chapter 7, which is even more interesting because this is a little more of a contentious passage because it's going to talk about the 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. So let's begin with chapter 7, verse 1. Now, I I should say that as we look, we jump to chapter 7. In chapter 6, they're talking about 
the seven seals. And, and they're really addressing six seals. And I'll, I'll give my, our purpose at this point in the study is not to get into that. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that uh, there's the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. Okay? And the seven trumpets are going to be uh, you know, difficulties poured out on the unbelieving world. From in having to do with the natural realm, nature, mm. uh, because we'll see that in uh, chapter seven. But so th- th- that difficulty is going to come. So s- chapter seven begins this way: After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Of course, this is a vision; it's not literal. Mm. They're not holding back, you know, the four corners. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea. And this is going to be natural calamities or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Mm. Now, the idea is that these, these trumpets are going to be judgments that are going to come out on unbelievers from the, you know, from just, you know, uh, distortions from nature, famines, floods, whatever. Believers are going to be sealed before this happens because for us as believers, it's Romans 8.28, mm-hmm. all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. And so, therefore we're protected so we have nothing to be afraid about in the future so if god should have a flood like katrina take away your home for you it's it's because this is what your father in heaven who loves you intensely wants you to experience and it's for your good mm-hmm. um, so there is nothing negative about what we're experiencing because in a way that we don't quite understand fully our Father in Heaven is choreographing our lives for our good, and everything that happens to us is motivated by His love for us. Okay, so so believers are going to be sealed. Now that's a metaphoric seal. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, here, let's just turn there. Ephesians chapter, or really, the end of chapter 1 in Ephesians, we, we have the dis- description of the sealing of the Holy Spirit, mm. which is fascinating. And verse, uh, pick that up in uh, verses 13 and 14. And Paul says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the seal is not a literal thing, but what it is, he says, it's the seal of the Holy Spirit. That is, the fact that you are able to believe the gospel, and now you have a changed life. You're being motivated by the Holy Spirit from the inside out to live for Jesus. This is the identifying mark that you belong to God. That's really what he's getting at. So all believers are sealed, uh, but it's not a... Uh, it's not a uh, literal seal. Now... When you say that about the seal, then you're gonna, th- then you're gonna see, uh, think about 
the mark of the beast. Ah, because we're gonna we'll get that at some point. But the idea is that everybody is marked out. You you either have the seal of God that you belong to Him, or you have the mark of the beast that you belong to Satan. And everybody has one of these two. Now, it's, neither of them are literal. Contrary to uh, you know <laughs> our dispensational friends about their view of. You know, getting a literal mark on your forehead or on your hand, but it's it is simply everybody in the world is marked out. You know, or you think in terms of First John chapter three, this is how you'll know who the children of the God are and who the children of the devil are. There's just two groups in the world. Okay, so that's the idea. He says, then I heard the number of those who were sealed. This is back to Revelation chapter seven, verse four. 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. See, this is what he hears. Now, let's walk through. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. Okay, now, stop there. So are these, at least that's what I was taught as a young believer, these are Jewish evangelists, you know, that are going to be going out and converting folks uh, after the rapture. Okay, wow. the seven-year tribulation period. Well, this is not literal. You ask, well, how do you know it's not literal? Well, because the numbering of these, the uh, ordering of these 12 tribes exists nowhere else in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Example, where is the tribe of Dan? It's not there. Mm-hmm. What about tribe of Ephraim? It's not there. How come? You know, because um, Joseph had Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, but the tribe, but Be- Joseph is here. Manasseh's here, but Ephraim's not here. Uh, so, this is, seems rather strange. It's, this exists nowhere else. What I would suggest, that it's not, obviously, it's not my idea. I'm just borrowing from, uh, from others. And this is another discussion. We're not going to spend all our time doing that. But this is more an ordering of the tribes according to historically what has happened. Mm. With them, so Messiah goes comes from Judah, so it becomes number one. Reuben is relegated to number two, even though Reuben was the eldest because he was he slept with his father's Abraham's wives, mm-hmm. he concubines. He slept, uh, or Jacob's, excuse me, J- Jacob's wives. He slept with them, so he gets relegated. And there, there's much more of an explanation for the order, but mm-hmm. that but the last thing we could say this is a literal uh, just describing the 12 tribes it's not true and so but once again that should not surprise us because here we have these visions mm-hmm. and it's not literal but it does communicate truth right. okay but this is what he hears those who were sealed but then you go to verse 9 after this I look this is what he sees and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the nations were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to be, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. These are they who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay. then it's, So this is a uh, fascinating account that on one hand, what he sees is the great multitude. These, these are the elect of God. These are the ones for whom Jesus died from every tribe, nation, tongue. These are the ones who are actually sealed. Hmm. Actually sealed. Now, another discussion, which at some time would be helpful, is that Israel is an unbelieving, temporary unbelieving picture of the people of God, that our physical Israel gets replaced by spiritual Israel, and spiritual Israel is mostly Gentiles with a remnant of Jews. Okay, so in here, they do what the author hears of those who are going to be sealed is the people of God in Old Covenant language. What he sees is the people of God in true New Covenant fulfillment. That's what he sees. And so he, and if you were to ask, how does God describe the people of God in Old Covenant terms? It's Israel, 12 tribes. But how, who are the real people of God as far as those who are part of the new covenant, the death of Jesus on the cross, well, it's the elect from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Mm. Ah. So, you, once again, I hear something. I hear the language described in old covenant terms. Mm. I see the fulfillment in terms of new covenant fulfillment. Mm. But it's actually the same group of people, just as in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus is the same but described <coughs> in Old Covenant language first, then New Covenant fulfillment. I hear, I see. Right. One of your favorite topics, I know that is numerology. So let me ask you this. Uh, <laughs> hey, how, what's the significance, if any, of the 144,000 and then the 12,000 from each tribe? I think it's just a stylistic. There is uh, various explanations, but it's sort of like a stylistic way of just describing. Um, well, isn't it? I mean, the, the number, I forget exactly, but a thousand sometimes means like a fullness or a, a whole number. Uh, 12 is, yeah, all those. Yes. But it seems to me, just in, in you know, thinking, well, that's the picture, this is the fulfillment. The picture is. There's a specific number of Jews from every tribe, yeah. right? Even though they're they're out of order or whatever, or not all there, that will be saved. The remnant, as we call it in the New Testament, and then there's a number we can't even number of the real believers in the New Covenant era that are coming. Well, the problem is, is that is that too simple? No, it falls into the trap of thinking it's kind of straightforward and literal. It's not. Because they're talking about the same group of people. Oh, okay. See, that's the point. It's this, the twelve, the 144,000, 12 from each, 12,000 from each tribe is the same group as the great multitude. Oh, I see. Yeah. Just looking at it from which side of the cross are you looking at it from? Mm. It's the same group of people. Because that, that's, that's a good point. Because in the Old Testament prophecies, the, when it talks about Israel and all these promises to Israel, it's really not talking about Old 
old covenant Israel is talking about spiritual Israel. Oh yeah, see that's the whole point right. is that um, well here let me sort of just take a little side sure. side sure. trip. Turn to Romans chapter two, the very last two verses of Romans chapter two, where the apostle Paul. He is redefining what is a Jew. Mm -hmm. And he says this, A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Of course, for Israel, to become a Jew, that's all it was. You just had to be born, if you were a male, born into an Israelite family, and on the eighth day you were circumcised, and you were had the sign of the people of God. Very simple. No, a person now is a Jew. Now, when he says Jew, he means people of God. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. So what he's saying is, is that now Paul's changing the definition of the people of God. What qualified as the people of God is just born into the right nation, a family which is in the nation of Israel. Now that's, that's not the case. Now you have to be born again. You have to believe the gospel message, have a new heart, you know, trust in Christ alone to save you. These are the only person now who are called the people of God. So, and of course, what we find in the New Testament is that most of the people of God are going to be Gentiles, with a remnant are going to be Jews. So, that's the actual picture of who are going to be the real people of God. And so, we get to Revelation chapter 7, and he's simply talking about the people of God in picture terms, Old Covenant, Mm -hmm. but then then he sees the true fulfillment of the people of God in actual terms. Mm. You know, the elect from every you know tribe, nation, and tongue. Mm. And these, the, you know, the great multitude that no one can count. Uh, and of course, we'll get into that. They come out of the great tribulation. Of course, the tribulation, I think, is going, we'll talk about that another time, is really from Pentecost to the second coming. Right. Wars, rumors of wars, difficulties mm-hmm. that ebb and flow until the second coming. So, I heard and I saw. I heard and I saw. (laughs) What can I say? If you have any questions about this particular topic, this episode, uh, go to our website, ids.org. There's lots of information there. For example, there's a number of studies on Israel, which will help kind of make all this make sense for you. But if you're in a hurry or you just want to talk to our brother Jeff, you can always reach him at... You can call me on my cell phone. It's area code 480-313-8558. And my email address is volker.jeff at gmail.com. Thanks for watching.